Welcome to yet another episode of Human Rights and the Digital. I am your host, Charity Mugasha. And I am Philip Ayazika. Charity, how have you been? I am okay. I'm okay. Um, it's quite cold in Kampala these days. I don't know if I'm in Kampala or I'm in Nairobi mm-hmm. or I'm somewhere in Europe. I wake up confused, but I hope the sun will return to Kampala soon. Charles, that is jet lag. Yeah. <laughs> you're, still, you're still not over that uh, leaf that you have but I, I hope you're, you're feeling refreshed and feeling good. Um, I'm miss I'm missing the cost for sure. I'm missing the sunshine on the cost, but right. um, let's work harder. We'll be back. Yeah. So um, today, as as the year is coming to the close, you know, it has you thinking about all the things you've been doing throughout the year, and as as a as a human being, you start to evaluate yourself and think, you know, there's all these memes about do you own land or should you own land or just buy a car since it's rainy season, you know. Um, I don't know, Philip. Do you own land by any chance? Or are you in the category of people <laughs> so, like so, us who are so you see, every time living now? In, every time it trains in Kampala, someone uh, kind of uh, says, for those that uh, own owning land now, you're suffering because you chose to, you know, buy a car instead of, you, you chose to buy land instead of a car. But I know those are stories uh, that uh, people just uh, throw around. But also I think, Charity, if anyone, I think you're not Ugandan if you've not heard of the land wrangle you know, on your village or, you know, wherever you come from, or even on the news, there's been a lot of news about land grabbing, land wrangles and all these things. So I think this is a valid conversation for me today. Absolutely. Um, and, and we have all these customs and norms around owning land, you know, especially um, for females. Land ownership by females is is really highly contested. Always in court, it's like, ah, uh-uh, this one, she's female. She was a daughter to the deceased. She was a wife to the deceased and she should not have ownership of the land. Um, have you personally witnessed or heard of scenarios within the Ugandan context where land was grabbed from a woman just because of agenda yeah I, I mean i think women are the most common you know victims of uh, land grabbing because I, I mean society has said it that women can't own land women can't you know uh uh inherit land but i'm glad that uh, we are we, we are progressing and we i think times have changed really uh we have you know uh independent women people are working and they can own their land so i think it it it, it is not as easy to kind of Step on women like it used to be those days because they inherited. Now, if someone, of course, buys it with their money, uh, I think it's a different story. But still, there's still marginalization when it comes to land ownership. Uh, most of the people, not only women alone, they still don't understand their rights when it comes to you know land rights. Uh, when it comes to who owns what land, when it comes to all these different you know types of land, Milo land and all these things, Kabaka land and all those other things. So I think there's serious. There's need to have a serious conversation around these things, and the conversation shouldn't be in English alone. So I think there's need to go to the grassroots, to the local people, and, and just help them understand all these things. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think most importantly, land is a major form of wealth. It's also a basic resource for several functions. You know, like people who are thinking of starting a family. Here, most people will think I need to build a house. You know, for my family. People who want to earn by setting up commercial structures that can yield returns on investment. But most importantly, because agriculture is the backbone of Uganda, it's a key resource for agriculture. Right. And, you know, according to the Ugandan Bureau of Statistics, agriculture sector, gender statistics profile, Agriculture employs about 69% of the Ugandan population, of which over 50% are women. However, there is a gender gap in land ownership, use and control. Women land rights are constrained by a number of factors that we're going to be discussing more today and hopefully proposing measures that can be adopted to promote gender equality in land rights in Uganda. Thank you so much, Charity. Joining us today are two members of the Digital Human Rights Club. We have Eva Oriam from the Double Women's Club and Charles Ochan from Utah, Uganda. They are both members of the Rural Innovation COP where uh, Charles also serves as a COP lead you know, uh, and the project lead on the, the project promoting human rights and innovation in the digital space, which is uh, abbreviated as, as FEEDS. Uh, so this project has, for the past you know, year, been using a rights-based um, approach to build capacity of local institutions and communities to be able to ad- address um, 
social injustices and human rights violations in the community with key focus and a particular focus on women's land rights in Gulu. Yeah. So welcome, Ivan Charles. How are both of you feeling today? How is the situation in Gulu? Say hello to our listeners. I think I'll go with you, Eve, first. So much, Philip. Uh, thank you, uh, Charity, and all the panelists, and my colleague Charles. Uh, I am fine, and uh, everything is, uh, yeah, I would say fine. Yeah, physically, I'm okay, but um, uh, in the mind, of course, you know, things are not so fine. It's so devastating. Uh, when we see you hear the women what they are going through out there, you you know that things are really not so fine. But uh, physically, I am fine. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eve. I'm sorry to hear um, that we're feeling that way. We hope um, you can get through this. And um, in our in our previous episode, we spoke about the mental health. For human rights defenders, because I feel like there's a lot of things that go on in your life. Yes, you know the work that you do kinds of kind of gets to become personal because of the stories you interface and the victims. So we sympathize with you and we hope you can get through this. Hi, Charles. Uh, hi, Philip. Thank you very much. Hi, Charity. Um, I'm good. I'm actually very good. We are enjoying a bit of sunshine lately in Kulu, and yeah, the weather is cool. Hot during the day, cold in the evening. Uh, I'm very happy to be part of this conversation today, and I look forward to it. Uh, thank you for dialing in, Charles. Uh, for our listeners out there, um, technology is amazing. We're here hosting this podcast. <laughs> People are dialing in from Gulu. Some are dialing in via their mobile phones, others through um, their 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 uh, laptops. But we're just glad that we're able to just have this conversation despite the limitations. Yeah, yeah, right. So, even yeah. Charles, uh, before we delve into today's topic and you know into the deeper conversation, could you uh, a little bit tell us about the work that you both do um, in your various different organizations and um, uh, how has the journey of collaborating, you know, on the project that you've been working on both been like for the past one year? Uh, Charles, would you want to take on first? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Philip, and thank you, Charity. Um, briefly, I will just uh, tell you about the work that we do. Uh, you touch in Uganda and then at the Double Women's Club plus Foramo are uh, working together to address issues that affect women's land rights. Uh, particularly, we are focusing on the access, utilization, and ownership. When you look uh, deep in our community, and women in Gulu particularly do not have enough land access and they are unable to utilize the land at their disposal. And of course, we also realize that mm, few of them own those land. So what we are doing as a consortium and as a COP is number one, we, we are trying to figure out how do we uh, work around the traditional norms, create awareness in regards to land ownership. Traditionally, in our culture, women are equally property, so they are owned by men, and they are literally not eligible to own properties in in a, in a, in a, in a family. So uh, in our project, we are trying to sensitize and create awareness that there is a universal human right that is right to ownership, and that includes women, just like any other human being. So uh, in our project, we do community awareness, and we in the community awareness, we use two platforms. Number one is we do community engagement with community members and women and local authorities. Uh, we also try to adopt the use of technology, trying to reach out to a wider range of people. So we are using a social media platform, SMSs. We use radio talk shows in order to be able to reach out to uh, a number of people in terms of coverage, looking at the geographical area. It's usually not easy to reach out to individual families. So the radio and the digital tools help us a lot to reach out to people who are unable to be got uh, physically. So basically that is what we do in our project in terms of uh, fighting for women's land rights. 
to access and utilization. Thank you so much, Charles. Eve? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Philip. And thank you so much, Charles, for your detailed elaboration. Um, um, uh, I'm Eva Riem, as uh, I've introduced myself earlier on. I am the ED of the Double Women's Club Uganda. The Double Women's Club Uganda is a community-based organization that works with the local community and the grassroots women in the community. Uh, we do quite a number of uh, activities within the community. Uh, we run a vocational skill training centers that is located within the community still uh, that provides a hand-on training to the vulnerable women and the youth within the community. And uh, we also work uh, together uh, with the district and we are a member of gender-based violence group uh, that, uh, that uh, meet in the district every month uh, in the coordination meeting. And then it was this that um, the Double Women's Club got in touch, um, uh, that you touch got in touch with the Double Women's Club. And um, yeah, because it is an, uh, a community-based uh, organization that works with women and it's also a women-led organization. So um, it was really very easy for you touch uh, to work together alongside to implement uh, the program on women land rights awareness. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Eve. Um, thank you, Double Women Club and you touch for the great work that you're doing. Charity, by the way, I was in Gulu sometime and I, I had the privilege to interact with these organizations and the COP at large. And it's amazing the much work that they're doing. I love that they have the um, local community approach where they get to you know bring people together have this conversation in a local language that everyone understands what they're talking about. And I think that is a very good <clears throat> thing to, to, you know, to do that, uh, to do. And, and, and I love the work that they are both doing. Uh, Ch um, Charles, you spoke about uh, something. And uh, uh, for me, it's sad that in this age and era, we still have these patriarchal tendencies. And as a digital human rights lab, we condemn this and we hope that we, we can continue to contribute to you know to to, to the to the efforts of the organizations especially uh, you know like Utah and Double Women's Club that are working towards an equal society uh, you both also spoke about COP and I know for our listeners that for for example speak, are listening to us for the very first time um, a COP is a, is a community and a digital human rights lab where we can kind of tend to cluster organizations uh, to work on uh, according to their interests. So today, the two people we are speaking to, Charles and, um, and Eve, are both from uh, the community of practice on innovation for real development. Uh, thank you so much for sharing. Um, now we can begin and delve into our topic for the day. Eve and Charles, what are your thoughts, uh, uh, what, what are your thoughts or reactions to today's topic? How far do you think we have come as a nation when it comes to women land rights, but also land rights in general? I would really say we still have a lot of work to do because we work in a rural setting. And in a rural setting, the perceptions of land ownership is different compared to those in urban settings. In urban settings, people just buy a plot of land or a piece of land. But in a rural setting, the procedure is different. In most cases, have to inherit land. So you see those two contradicts more, especially when it comes to women's land right access and utilization. So briefly, that is what I can say about today's topic. Thank you so much, Charles. Eve, could you please come in and just give us context to today's topic? Well, uh, for the last uh, one year, we have been um, uh, implementing women land rights awareness in the two in Gulu, and uh, in Gulu we have been specialized in two sub counties, and um, we have been doing the awareness, and the work has been really really good. Uh, we have been uh, on the radios uh, sensitizing through the radio talk shows. And then uh, we have also been uh, mobilizing, mobilizing uh, um, the community leaders that we work together 
uh, because when we are doing, we are carrying out our activities, we normally involve, we work together alongside with the, the community leaders like uh, the LC1s, the chiefs, um, the group leaders, the women leaders, the councillors, and then um, we carry out, we, we, we sensitize them, they are part of the program as well because these are the people that work closely with the women when it comes to um, land issues or land wrangles. So um, this topic is really, really good because um, this is the issue that uh, we have been working on and it is the issue that affects the women the most. I, I feel so great because uh, the women that we encountered with them, their lives will never be the same again. Their lives have completely changed. Um, of course, you know, actually we have a very... Uh, our culture is not really, really favorable to the women. And uh, it keeps women at the bars when it comes to land owning and property uh, or properties. But um, the time that we've been doing the awareness, of course, many women, a lot of women have not heard about their rights, you know, they didn't know that they have a right to own the land. But as we kept on pushing on, carrying on the awareness through uh, the radio talk shows, through the different platforms and involving the leaders. They got to hear the message and then they started um, reacting to it and taking some step. Uh, other women started now registering their land and acquiring the land titles within, um, you, you know, within the shortest time possible. But of course, there are a lot more out there who have not had this and then there's still more need to do the awareness uh, to the communities, to the leaders, because many leaders out there, we haven't yet reached them. The number that we've reached are really, really few. And the few that we have reached them, uh, they are now working well, handling issues, because the challenge has been that many of them didn't know how to go about some of the local leaders. They didn't know how to go about their roles and the legal aspects. Most of them have not even had or gotten chance. Majority of them do not even have the uh, access to to like constitutions. They don't even hear, you know, uh, you, they are implementers of policies, but they are not even aware of their roles, what they are supposed to to, to, to implement, uh, how they are supposed to carry on their activities. But uh, with this, uh, with with our work, we are able to reach the few that we can, and then now they are doing greater work. So I feel so great when we talk about this uh, women land rights awareness. And I feel so great being in uh, discussing more on this topic. Thank you so much, Eva. And um, maybe while while you were speaking, it's very clear that you're handling a lot of groundwork. You're in direct communication with these women groups, you know, um, that are being affected by by all these land ownership wrongs. And I don't think it has been easy for you to be able to carry out your work in the middle of a pandemic within, you know, this past year. So, you know, what are the key challenges that you faced while you were in the field um, last year and this year? Uh, thank you so much, Charity. Um, you know, uh, it has not really been easy. Uh, we've been, uh, of, we we had um, we had uh, two lockdowns in the country, and uh, the first lockdown was a complete total lockdown down where no movement was allowed you could not do anything and then uh in this first lockdown which is a complete total lockdown uh we got cut off completely because we could not do anything the women could not assess us and we could not also assess them and yet they were going through uh, a very very hard time and uh, our work became so easy we we could not even uh, move uh, to to the radio stations if we are to even go and spread the message to the radio go to the radio station and have the radio talk shows we have a challenge that very few women 
do have radios and majority of them could not um, listen to us and yet the situation grew so worst as many people now came traveled from different places and they are all sitting home even they were sitting together with the land grabbers the issues became so terrible now uh, the second lock- lockdown when the second lockdown came at least there was uh, the, it was a partial lockdown where at least we started moving though movement was a little bit it restricted as well and also uh, meeting the women we were not also our work wasn't so easy because uh, the number of people that the, the number of women that we were supposed to meet was restricted was actually a maximum of 20 people and leaving very many of our beneficiaries out we could not reach every woman many of them were left out as a result of um the lockdown and uh, we had to do door to door reach out uh, which was also not easy we could not now reach as many uh, as possible so this affected our work and um, and and of course uh, as we were we kept on you know carrying out the work yeah amid this covid like that there was nothing that we could do but uh, we have to yeah, do the work. Thank you. Um, it's commendable that you still were able to progress regardless. Charles, I'm going to come back to you as the project lead, um, uh, not just for the FEEDS project, this project that we're talking about, but also as the COP lead and um, as the lead team lead at UTouch as well. Um, how has it been um, working with other COP members and other partners in order to strengthen the capacities of all these members of your communities and the institutions that are now, you know, members of the Rural Innovation um, COP, you know, the human rights defenders that are working with you, journalists, local media practitioners. I mean, how has it been um, working with them and needing to utilize digital technology to promote human rights within these rural communities? Um, Thank you very much, Charity, for for that. Uh, Briefly, working with the COP members has personally given me uh, a lot of experience. I've had the opportunity to meet various members from various areas. And I've also been able to experience a lot of work that different organizations are doing as regards to human rights and then human rights violations. Uh, particularly, I would say working with the COP as a COP lead has ex- given me a, a lot of experience in terms of understanding the context of various community challenges. As you know, in in Uganda, we have very many other ethnic groups, and all all these groups have a very unique challenge that they face as far as human rights violations and issues is concerned. But also um, how we've been working with the COP in the project is that uh, we have also had other partners who are not part of the COP. But of course they are partners because they are doing something which relates to the work that we do. And among other things we've been having what we call stakeholders and then collaboration and networking sessions. In this session we bring together various players in from the space and we discuss matters that affect the work that we do and how we can all collaborate, how we can synergize to make sure that the work we do doesn't conflict with the norms of our community, with the values of our society. And also we learn best practices and lessons learned from different aspects of our work. So basically, I think uh, working with the COP has been something which is very unique. It is a very unique setup with a unique value. And also, we've also been doing what we call a biannual learning experience sharing. In this biannual experience sharing, we have meetings with other community or practice members. We expect that in this meeting, we share the outcome of what we are doing as we refocus the strategy 
then we repackage the way we act, we we do our activities in order to help us achieve the goals and objectives of our project. Among other things, we have been working with human rights defenders, like you mentioned. With them, we've been basically trying to build their capacity in terms of how best can they do their work, what are the challenges that they face, and how can they coordinate among themselves. So, um, and how can they report cases? How can they refer cases? Because human rights defenders have been facing a lot of challenges when they're out there. Some of them get beaten in the process, and some of them don't have a referral pathway. Through our meetings and, in the, and involving stakeholders, we've been able to create a path where human rights defenders can now in our community easily link issues with local authority without having a lot of challenges. But of course, there are still some gaps that need to be you know, addressed. But I, I think basically... Um, we have done good, and we have also been working with, of course, people who we call media practitioners. These are people whom we've been using them to, in order, magnify online the work that we do, try to do sensitization online, try to share materials and information online for people who may not have access to us physically, they can as well have access to digital platform. This has really been very helpful to the human rights defenders because they've been able to communicate and, you know, link up very fast and very easily using the online tool. Uh, thank you so much, Charles. Uh, it's very clear and evident that uh, you have, you know, uh, tried to understand and also tamp into the existing ecosystem, but also to be as collaborative as possible, which I think is a key element when you're, you know, trying to, uh, you know, work on, uh, you know, projects these days, especially if you want them to be as impactful as possible. It's important that you, you know, be as collaborative as possible, but also understand the existing ecosystem so that you know what synergies to tap into. Now, uh, Charles and Eve, I want to pose a question to you, you know, as a COPN Innovation for Road Development, I know you, you, you've had, you know, to fight a battle of trying to, you know, balance the use of digital tools uh, in a rural setting, yeah? We know the community where you come from, maybe there's challenges with the uh, you know, internet, but also the communities that you're trying to serve. We are talking about rural women, women that survive in you know, rural communities. Sometimes they don't yes. even have electricity. They don't even have you know smartphones. And here you are trying to you know uh, work with them and in, in a digitalized age. Um, I know you've 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 employed some low resource but accessible tools. Tell us what are some of the digital tools or approaches that you have used to ensure that the project goals were attainable. But also, how have you tried to be as inclusive as possible in your en- endeavors? Thank you so much, Philip. Um, uh, of course. Um, in this uh, digital age, there's no way out we can avoid uh, to use the digital tools and uh, uh, platforms. Um, uh, as the Double Women's Club, during this implementation of uh, Women Land Rights Awareness, um, and also with the lockdown, one of the things that we have learned to use is uh, to use the social medias actually to use uh, the digital tools uh, like uh, the social medias like uh, radio, uh, radios where we've been engaging the radio, uh, we've been engaged in the radio talk shows uh, where we we voice out uh, the women and um, we discuss issues that affect the women regarding land and we sensitize the women on the radios. Uh, many women also have learned to call during the radio talk shows. They call and give their views or raise also their issues on phone, uh, or, uh, on phone calls as well. Uh, many of the women also that learn to use SS, SMSs uh, and they send short, short messages. And then sometimes that we, we send the messages back or we call them on phone because, uh, because of the power. So they try to use something that at least can, you know, can reach us faster. So we have learned how to use the social medias 
uh, the radios, the radio, uh, the WhatsApp, the Facebook, the Twitters, and uh, many women have been in position to send uh, in their messages to communicate. Uh, those ones who were not using the Facebook at uh, before, we were able also to to connect them with other groups that they can reach them and then they are able to send in uh, to use the Facebooks, to use the, you know, the SMSs and other social medias. Thank you so much, Eve. Very elaborative there. Charles, could you also just use uh, a few seconds to tell me about some of the other mixed methodologies that you used in your project to make sure you're as inclusive as possible, but also that you can be able to achieve the goals that you intended? Um, thank you, Philip. Uh, thank you, Eva, for sharing that. Um, well, we realized much as COVID poses a lot of threats in how we can run our daily activities. It has also presented opportunities for people to realize that technology can still be adopted in order for us to continue with our lives even amid the time that we could not reach out to each other. One of the things we did during this is that, um, we had open SMS sharing, random SMS sending, where you, we, from the list that we usually gather from our community sensitization and awareness, we usually send messages to those numbers, which, which are very simple messages. Can even be, do you know that a woman can now register a land? You can actually go to your nearest sub-county to pick up a land registration form. So those are some of the messages you just send randomly. And you realize that people start taking interest into following up with side messages. We have also been able to use social media. For example, Facebook. People have been, we have been encouraging people to share their thoughts on Facebook. Among other things that I've witnessed people do is some of the women have been using social media for blowing whistles. And I think much as it may not be a good thing, it has helped because the perpetrators usually want to do most of these land grabbing in, in the dark. But once somebody brings something out, they, 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 they feel they are going to be exposed. And in a way, it has also saved some women land from being grabbed because they feel, okay, in their capacity, these land grabbers are not ordinary people. They are people with we would say there are people with uh, profiles. Right, right. So they usually come and use their profile. So I think social media has been one of the things that already we have been having radio features. Mm. You know, radio features, these are small, small conversations that, you know, trigger. We, the, 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 the idea is to trigger the mindset so that people understand women can actually utilize the land better. In fact, mm. women can also be given the right to own, to utilize, and also to have it as their own, you know, property register it. So basically, our social media platform has been about trying to magnify whatever we could be doing physically and also try to take it to a digital platform for other people to be able to give comments, for other people to be able to see, give their views. In that way, we've been even able to get assistance from people, from legal people who say, it's okay, since this woman is facing this a problem, our company is going to come and do a pro bono service to them so that their land is restored. This has helped us to expose and also, you know, magnify the, the challenges that women face. I'm glad that you're already hinting on uh, the challenges that women face, you know, when it comes to land rights. Because, um, you know, research research in Uganda, of course, and be, but, but also all of us know that Agriculture is the backbone of Uganda's, you know, economy, and we it contributing about I think twenty six percent. But also, agriculture employs approximately seventy percent of Uganda's population, of which fifty percent uh, of of which women are fifty percent of you know the main labor in this sector. However, it is shocking that um, there's still um, a wide gender, you know, a wide ag- agricultural productivity gap. You know, there's there's still a wide gender divide. Why is is that so? Why is it that, for example, women, you know, produce less when it comes to agriculture? Why is it like that we we we, we only have maybe, for example, only twenty eight percent of the women in Uganda owning land, uh, yet we have you know majority of women making up the majority of uh, 
you know the labor when it comes to agriculture uh if I, I want you to tell me what are some of the approaches you think can be adopted to mitigate the challenges that are faced by women that could help end the, end the gender divide when it comes to agricultural production but also promoting women's land rights um one of the issues that affects women in agriculture uh is um we realize that um the the policy um the issue that um we should the mitigation that uh, we should uh, have in place to improve this is to inch, to ensure that uh, policy makers such as especially the lawmakers like the local leaders they should be involved in um the policy the by law uh they they should come up with by law which favors the women to protect the vulnerable women that cannot uh assess the assess the land uh that cannot um help herself so when the policy makers come up with a, a, a by law that favors a woman and protect her from owning a land it is going to mitigate um all these uh, challenges and it will help uh, promote women to 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 promote women land rights and uh, i think also we have to carry more sensitization because um a lot of women are still lagging behind many women are still not aware of their rights uh, to own land to uh, to use it and to control it so even if they have land they are they cannot even register their land they cannot even use it because they still they know that the power of that land does not belong to them but it belongs to the men so more sensitization of this kind has to spread wider so that many of the of these women get to know of their rights and when i look at the majority of the women whom their land are being grabbed are the women who are also uh, low income actually they do not have any source of income therefore they cannot even afford their basic needs majority of the women are spending nights even without food and uh, sometimes they have only one meal uh, that tells you that women they need their, the economic uh, capacity of women are still low so we need to boost up um, to empower women economically they need to 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 be trained they need to be empowered financially so that they can even use their land because if they have land like now they have land they cannot even register their land they cannot use their land for agriculture fully why because they are very poor they don't have um they don't have the capacity to put their to use uh, their land for commercial farming and uh, at the end of the day the land is being grabbed why because she cannot even register her land why because she doesn't have the the finances she doesn't have the income so i think we need to um to we to, we need to mitigate this challenge these challenges by empowering women financially economically and uh, we need to uh, create more awareness to bring them in 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 a sense of um uh knowledge that they can uh, control use and assess their land fully thank you um uh, thank you so much for those insights eva i think you really highlighted something that's very critical you know in it's not just going to be beneficial to women if we um in, improve the access that they can get to land it benefits the entire economy it, it benefits an entire sector and um the the other thing that i want maybe for you to just talk about is um in uganda just similar to most sub-saharan african countries land is acquired um primarily through marriage and inheritance 
how do you think this has actually affected women's land rights? Because you talked about um, the laws and the policies that need to be improved in order to, you know, to get women to have access to their land. But when we talk about um, just the customs within our societies and the fact that, you know, women are getting land through marriage and inheritance primarily, um, how do you think that it's affecting women's rights within, specifically within rural areas? Um, thank you so much, uh, Charity. Um, well, uh, you said in uh, Sahara Africa, um, women acquire land through marriages, uh, through inheritance. But when we look at uh, the number of people, the, the number of women uh, inheriting land from you know from maybe their spouse or from maybe through their marriages, how many of them are inheriting the land? There are very few. And even when a woman owns, I mean, inherits a land uh, through marriage, a moment her husband passed on, she remains vulnerable because this land at the end of the day is grabbed away, is taken away by by maybe the brothers, the woman is just away from that land which her husband left her on. So at the end of the day, you find that the land that she she that was supposed to be hers is no longer hers, and she has she's she's powerless. She has nowhere to to report this, or she's not even aware to, that you know uh, the land that she has inherited from her husband is hers. Only few women who are literate are the ones who know their rights and probably uh, the husband takes them through the process of uh, legalizing the land in their name such that when he dies, the will is, you know, it's transferred on hers and she continued using. But many of the women still, even if they have the will, uh, that the husband has left them with. We have been handling this case, this, these cases. They have the will that uh, the husband has left them with, but they don't know. They are still ignorant. They are being chased away from that land with uh, the documents are being removed from them. And at the end of the day, they lose it. So they cannot even take the case uh, elsewhere. Uh, not only that, uh, if the the few ones who uh, have gotten the land and they know their rights, yes, they are fully enjoying the privilege of, you know, uh, the inheritance. But how about the women who are not married? I mean, they cannot, uh, you know, they are, they, are, uh, they are not married. They cannot uh, inherit a land uh, because the law, they stated that a woman is not supposed to uh, to hold and to own a land. And uh, and and the father refuses, the parents refuses to give them, you know, a portion of land simply because even the father has not given land to the mother, but the father owns the land with his uh, sons. So these girls who are not married, but they are home, they do not have any way of uh, owning land. They don't have any rights. The only option that they could have is to buy land from elsewhere, but then you realize that they don't have the capacity, they don't, they, they don't have source of finance, finances that could make them buy land and register them in, in their names. So at the end of the day, we have this big issue at hand that we need to address and work on. So the major thing that we really, really need to do is just to spread this awareness, sensitize more women, empower these women, so that if uh, they have the capacity, they have the money, they have the source of income, they can acquire, acquire land on their own, and then they register in their names. But at the moment, we, you know, at the end of the day, if we are saying that the women can inherit land now through marriages, through, you know, it will not. It is not going to work out for the women who are going to remain home and married. You know, so they will still be chased away and remain vulnerable in the community. 
I think from what you've shared, um, we still have a lot of work to do when it comes to um, policy. You know, we True. need to have uh, policy makers really put in a lot of work to solve this issue. Philip, you are working um, with a lot of researchers that are trying to um, see how we can, you know, advocate for policy change. Um, what those recommendations could you have um, regarding this issue? Thank you, Charity, uh, and thank you so much, Eva. I think uh, you bring uh, so much context that we could work with when it comes to this issue. It really shows that you've really done real work and you understand the problem. Now, Ch- Charity, I-, I think for me, before I even get to your question, the law is very clear, yeah? You know, Uganda, we are known for having the laws, but then the implementation is a problem, But uh, you know, because of uh, not drawing out the right plans into how to implement these things but also kind of just excluding some communities. Um, you know, the, the constitution of Uganda, I think Article 31, uh, entitles women and men to equal rights during and after marriage, including acquisition of property, which may be land during marriage. You know, uh, The Land Act also, I think, Cap uh, 227, provides for mandatory representation of women on land tenure and, 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 and governance. Uh, you know, you, you Land tenure, mandatory representation, and all these things. Um, and I think it, it just goes without saying that we all understand why it's important for, you know, women to have access, to, to have equal rights, you know, when it comes to issues of land. Why? Because, you know, we keep preaching um, equal rights, you know, women empowerment and all these things. But, you know, when women have control over land, it only empowers them to make, you know, decisions on land use. But it not only does that, but also it helps, it allows them to have greater bargaining power and economic opportunities, including access to capital, credits, market, and leadership opportunities. So to just get, get back to your question, um, uh, from my perspective, I think uh, what the research is saying and the policy reviews are saying, I think um, for starters, it has been you know, argued that the solution is not the elimination of the customary law. But to integrate and um, you know harmonize the two systems so that the formal legal uh, legal frameworks mirror each other, you know legalize and oversee the customary norms. You know customary norms should be allowed to evolve and develop by drawing from rich cultural values. The the law reform should provide for co ownership of marital property by spouses, uh, land formalizations, you know titling rights and etc. So for me, I think um, uh, beyond that, we should also allow. Uh, do more awareness around the law, you know, uh, allow people to understand what does the law say. Because uh, as, uh, as, uh, as Eva has mentioned, people don't know these things, yeah? Uh, it is shocking that we even have leaders in these communities that don't understand the law. So I think for me, before even we go into policy, I think we need, that is the starting point for us to just make sure everyone understands the law. What does the law say? And I know there are common laws in these communities, which is kind of hard to penetrate. But then what does the constitution say? What does the law say? And then I think from there we can get into the conversation of how do you know we can change things. I completely, completely agree. Um, the structures that we have in place and all the proposed approaches um, cannot really promote the rights of women unless the linkages between the customary and the state structures have been strengthened and also effectively communicated to the community. These linkages should be able to recognize and respect the tradition and cultural norms. They need um, to limit the potential for traditional violations of women's rights and they need to foster for the establishment of the rule of law as principles. As you said, the law is there, but you know, raising awareness about the law and implementation can be difficult. So we need for a compromise between the application of the customary norms and the realization of the fundamental principles of human rights. Um, and what you raised is key, raising public awareness. Eva and Charles, very, very briefly, um, how could you could you just maybe kindly highlight the various awareness strategies that can be effective in mitigating this issue? Eva, you could go first. Um, thank you so much, uh, Charity. Once again, and Philip, uh, the awareness strategies that uh, uh, could be effective in mitigating these issues. I think one, um, the cultural leaders, their involvement in um, in the their involvement in the community in the lawmaking 
uh, in the policy making uh it would really be good uh because uh this uh when we look at the actual culture it is uh, really really so hard and it does not favor women in any way and some of the cultural leaders they they are not really accepting to change so these are the people that we need to be very close to them and you know reach them with awareness uh, create sensitize them more on the legal aspects um and uh, i think and also the as i said earlier on the local leaders uh should be trained through workshops like we had um uh in our previously we call all the local leaders the lc1s the lc2s and uh with some lawyers and we 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 we, we, we had a workshop with them and uh we explained to them clearly the law and their roles how they are supposed to uh exercise to to play their role and they were able to 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 do they are able, they are actually doing good job and uh, i think also we have to engage the women groups mobilize the women into groups uh create uh, the awareness through music dance and drama which could uh, sell which could uh, speak by itself and that uh, it could raise it could voice as the women uh, in the community through you know it gives a message sense in a message to the community to the different um to the different uh, partners to the different uh, policy makers uh in this when we play this role i i think it will help to uh mitigate and uh, create more awareness yes thank you so much if i like how you're thinking uh when it gets to you, you know, using uh you know uh uh, methodologies that are, you know, relatable to the people, music, dance and drama, to just create awareness on this. Thank you both for sharing with us uh, this this uh, very important knowledge and and also information in regards to women land rights. Thank you so much, Charles, and thank you so much, Eve, for taking time to speak to us today. To our listeners, I want to encourage all of you to engage with the Digital Human Rights Lab across all platforms. Visit www.digitalhumanrightslab.org to learn more about the works that we've been doing, including the work that uh, you touch and the Double Women's Club have been working on. Um, that's all from us today. Thank you so much for joining us and stay tuned and look out for our next episodes as we present to you the voices and perspectives of human rights defenders in Uganda.